Hello, welcome to Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to bring you Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, and Impact Wrestling. Now, without further ado, let's start off with the show. Monday Night Raw. First thing that started off was the number one contenders match for the Raw Women's Championship between Bailey and Alexa Bliss. Bailey would be out here with Dakota and Io, but before the match could take place, Becky Lynch will come out and take care of both Dakota Kai and Io, leaving the match to be a legit one-on-one match between Bailey and Alexa Bliss. Now, Bianca Belair will be at ringside to watch the match, and Alexa would win the match by pinfall. In part two, Bailey arguing with Bianca Belair. When Bailey would take the second turnbuckle pad off, and Bianca would try to inform the referee of what Bailey was doing. Bailey would argue with Bianca, and this would allow Alexa to dropkick Bailey into the second turnbuckle, and then Alexa would then hit the Twisted Bliss for the win. Now, after the match, Bianca would get in the ring and congratulate Alexa and extend her hand out for Alexa to shake it. Alexa would insist that they hug, and they do. But then, as you see on the Titantron, Bray Wyatt's logo just flash on the screen, and Alexa would snap and like, put herself in a position to hit Bianca with Sister Abigail. But she doesn't do it. Alexa will snap back to being herself and then apologize to Bianca and then leave the ring. So we are continuing with the whole Alexa Bliss, Bray Wyatt situation. Again, we have not seen those two come in contact with each other since last year at WrestleMania, but it seems that we're on this path and it's becoming more and more prevalent that we're getting closer to those two at least having some type of interaction with one another. Now, after this, we will have AJ Styles with Lou Gals and Medium in his corner going against Chad Gable, who had Otis in his corner. AJ would win the match by pinfall when AJ would get Chad Gable in a jackknife pin, then transitions it into the Styles Clash for the win. Solid match between AJ Styles and Chad Gable, but that's to be expected. AJ Styles has years under his belt. He's one of the greatest wrestlers to compete. I don't care whether in WWE, Impact Wrestling, New Japan, he just wanted the greatest. And Chad Gable, he is literally one of the most underutilized guys on the WWE roster. I know they want to use him as a funny big guy and a tag team wrestler, but if they really gave him a singles run, at least for the United States, or transition him over to the Intercontinental for SmackDown, I guarantee you people will see the ability that Chad Gable has. And I think that WWE is wasting some uh, valuable time not using Gable to his full potential. Now, after this, we have a six-man tag match of Judgment Days, Finn Balor, Damian Priest, and Dominic Mysterio with Rhea Ripley in their corner going against the Street Profits and Akira Tozawa. Dominic will get the win for the Judgment Day by pinfall when Akira Tozawa had Dominic on the mat and he was going up to the top turnbuckle. Rhea will get on the ring apron and distract the referee. Damian Priest will grab Akira and hit the razor's edge, allowing Dominic to pin Akira Tozawa for the win. So again, we're still putting Dominic in this position to be the spoiled brat, the spoiled bratty member of Judgment Day. Anytime he gets tagged in, the people boo him, and Finn Balor and Damian Priest just comes in to rescue him. So that's the role that Dominic is playing, and Dominic's doing really well. Again, I did not know how the split from Ravens here was going to be. We all knew it should happen, but I did not know that he was going to take this route the way that he did it. But it's working to absolute perfection. So congrats to WWE for actually making that change on Dominic and actually have him stick with Judgment Day and actually be this bratty uh, guy that everybody can't stand. So it's been working. Now, after this, we have Johnny Gargano and Dexter Loomis coming out to the ring to give out merchandise to the fans because Dexter has this big pot of money that he won from The Miz and he doesn't know what to do with it. So 
That's what they're doing. They bought merchandise to get out to the fans, basically for a holiday treat. So as they're doing this, the Miz would attack them and then steal back his money. Miz would walk up the ramp and he'd be caught by Adam Pierce. Adam Pierce would tell Miz that he needs to go back to the ring and hand Dex Loomis back his money. So the Miz would do so and he would get in the ring and he would get a mic and tell Adam Pierce that he would do anything to keep his money, even having a rematch with Dexter. He is that desperate. Johnny Gargano would tell Miz that they can have a rematch, but they're going to raise the stakes, literally. And you will see them look up in the air. So they will announce that they will have a ladder match for two bags of money next week. Miz questions Johnny when he says two bags. Johnny informs Miz that, yeah, the money that Dexter won from you will be hanging up there. And Miz, you will have to put money up since it's double or nothing. Miz will say that he would do so, but he doesn't have the money liquid and he would go on to further say that he gets an allowance from his wife, Maurice. Johnny would poke fun at Miz. Miz would say, come on, you should be in, you should know exactly what I'm talking about, Johnny. Candace is in control of your finances. I'm pretty sure of that. Johnny would say, you know what? You're right. Miz would say, but you don't have to worry about it. I'll get the money. We can have that match next week. So the match gets scheduled. Dexter Loomis versus The Miz next week. Ladder match for two bags of money. Now, after this, we have Io Sky with Dakota Kai and Bailey in her corner going against Candice LeRae. Io would win the match by pitfall by hitting her patented moonsault on Candice for the win. Solid match between both of the ladies here, and this gives Io and Dakota some momentum going into their tag team championship matchup against Tegan Knox and Liv Morgan on SmackDown. After this, we will have Elias going against Solo Sokoa with Sami Zayn in his corner. Solo Sokoa would win the match by pinfall when Solo would hit spinning Solo on Elias for the win. Now, after the match, Solo would attack Elias some more. Sammy would lift up Elias, and Solo would hit him with the Samoan spike. Solo Sokoa would then go outside of the ring and grab a steel chair, and he was planning on taking out Elias the same way that he did Riddle, by placing a chair around the neck of Elias and putting him against the bottom turnbuckle and running over and thrusting his hip into the chair. But as Solo was running, you would see Kevin Owens run into the ring, and hit Solo Sokoa with a stunner, and this would take Solo out of the ring. Solo would try to get back in the ring, but Sammy would pull Solo off the ring apron and walk him to the back. Elias would get up and put his hand on Kevin Owens' shoulder. Kevin Owens would turn around, and he would hit Elias with the stunner, because Kevin Owens did not forget that Elias and his brother Ezekiel put him through some trauma this past year, and Kevin Owens even mentioned that to Elias previously backstage when Elias asked Kevin Owens, to help him out out here to be in his corner. Uh, Kevin Owens told Elias, point blank, listen, I don't like you. I don't forget about what you and your brother did to me or you because Kevin Owens is still convinced that Elias and Ezekiel are still the exact same person. So Kevin Owens told Elias no. But in the end, he still ended up helping out Elias, but he still gave Elias a stunner for his troubles. Now, after this, we'll have Asuka going against Rhea Ripley and Dominic was in Rhea Ripley's corner. Asuka would come out here without her traditional, like, makeup on her face. She came out here just straight up, just fresh face with her ring gear, and it was different. I liked it because it's showing us that Asuka's going into a new direction here. Uh, Rhea would get the win by pitfall thanks to a distraction by Dominic when uh, Asuka would have Rhea in the Asuka lock, and it looked like Rhea was going to submit. Dominic would put Rhea's foot on the rope and tell the ref that Rhea's foot's on the rope. Oscar would break the hold, and Dominic would get on the ring apron and trash talk her. Oscar would then spray a blue mist into the face of Dominic. Rhea would then shove Oscar into Dom and then hit the riptide for the win. 
So Asuka's going through something right now, and we can tell that because, again, she didn't come out here with her traditional, like, war paint makeup on her face. And you could tell by the cryptic Twitter messages that she was posting this past week and, like, last weekend, she's more telling everybody that she's about to turn into a more devious, evil version of herself that the self that she was in Japan that a lot of people didn't see. Even I didn't see until I had to do some research on her. So it seems that we're going to get an evil, like, ruthless version of Asuka soon. But we're going to have to wait until that actually happens. Now, in the main event, we have the number one contenders match for the United States Championship. It'll be Bobby Lashley going against Seth Rollins. And Seth would win that match by pinfall when he was able to counter Bobby Lashley's spear with the pedigree for the win. Now, after the match... Bobby would grab the referee and start arguing with him because Bobby felt that he should have had that match won when he speared Seth Rollins and he covered him, but the referee was outside of the ring because Bobby had Seth in a hurt lock and Seth would back Bobby too close to the ref, so that's the reason why the ref had to dip outside of the ring so he wouldn't get hurt. So, when he wasn't in the ring to make the count for Bobby Lashley's spear and hit the three count and Bobby feels upset that he got screwed basically by the ref here. So, Bobby would be confronting the referee. Another referee would come down to the ring to try to tell Bobby to calm down, and you put his hands on Bobby's shoulders. And in a quick reaction, Bobby would turn around and elbow the referee in the face. This will lead to multiple personnels, backstage per, uh, agents, referees, even Adam Pierce coming down to the ring to try to talk to Bobby. Adam Pierce would get in Bobby's face and try to speak with Bobby. Bobby would try to walk away from Pierce, and Pierce just wouldn't shake Bobby. Bobby would eventually end up pie-facing Adam Pierce out of his face. This would lead to Adam Pierce getting upset, and he would tell Bobby straight to his face that he is fired. Bobby would look struck by this, and he just stood there to say fired. And that's how Raw would go off with the announcement that Bobby Lashley was fired. Now, on Tuesday... Adam Pierce would release a video on Twitter letting everyone know that Bobby Lashley is not fired and that his emotions got the better of him because he did mention to Bobby last week that Bobby's actions is basically going to cost him his work or livelihood and he wanted Bobby just to calm himself down. But again, in this case, Adam Pierce's emotion got the better of him. And he would mention that both him and Bobby would have a sit down later in the week to discuss ramifications that Bobby will be feeling because he did strike a referee. Now, on to NXT. We would start with Roxanne Perez being in the ring, and she would immediately get interrupted by Grayson Waller pulling up into the arena, and he would grab a mic, and he would basically say how better he was than Roxanne Perez and everybody else. He would say that he made winning the Iron Survivor match look easy, and as he would continue to talk, Roxanne would tell Waller to shut up. Roxanne and Grayson would then continue to jab with each other until Braun Breaker would come out. Braun would give props to Roxanne for starting at the number one position and lasting the entire 25 minutes in her Iron Survivor match. Braun will call Roxanne the future of NXT's women's division, and she's a future NXT women's champion. Grayson Waller will say that he was smarter than his other participants in the Iron Survivor match because he was able to outsmart all of his opponents. Grayson would say that he is all about making moments. Braun would tell Grayson that they can make a moment right now, and Braun would chase Grayson to the back. And at this moment, we would see Mandy attack Roxanne from behind, and Mandy would then leave the ring, 
Roxanne would get a mic and get up and tell Mandy that she doesn't have to wait until New Year's Evil to get her match with Mandy Rose for the NXT Women's Championship. She wants that match tonight. Mandy would agree, so that would be the main event of NXT. On to the next thing that happened after this, it would be Wesley going against Stax with Tony D'Angelo in his corner. This match wouldn't officially start until both men got in the ring because they will be fighting backstage. Now, once they get into the ring, the actual match begins. Wes would win the match by pinfall by hitting a backflip, turning it into a Pele kick onto Stax for the win. Now, after the match, Dijak will come down to the ring, and Wesley is prepared to hit Dijak. He's just waiting for Dijak to get into the ring, but Tony D'Angelo would attack Wes from behind, and he would finish him off with a back suplex side slam combination. Dijak would then look at Tony in the face, and Tony will look at Dijak after he's done with his business with Wes, and Tony would tell Dijak that he did his job for him. So you can tell that Dijak's not feeling Tony D'Angelo getting into his business. And again, Tony D'Angelo wants that North American Championship, the same belt, the same championship that Wes Lee's holding, so I can't see a triple threat somewhere down the line in the future with these three men. Now, after this, we have Ivy Nile and Tatum Paxley going against Gigi Dolan and JC Jane. With the NXT Women's Tag Team Champions, Katana Chance and Kaden Carter on commentary for this match. This match would end in a DQ win going to Tosca Attraction when JC would throw Ivy Nile into the Tag Team Champions. And this will lead to Katana and Kaden attacking JC and Gigi. The ref will see this and he will call for the bell. Now, Ivy Nile and Tatum would get involved in the brawl outside of the ring and referees would come out to separate all six of these ladies, and this thing wouldn't stop there, because later in the night, you will see all three of these teams just continue to fight in the back later, and it would be announced that next week on NXT, it will be a triple threat tag match for the NXT Women's Tag Team Championships between these three teams, so it will be Katana and Kaden putting up their NXT Women's Tag Team Championships against Ivy Nile and Tatum Paxley, and against Toxic Attractions, Gigi Dolan, and JC Jane. Now, after this, we will have Von Wagner with Robert Stone in his corner, going against Odyssey Joan, who had Malik Blade and Idris Inafe in his corner. Odyssey would win the match by pinfall, thanks to Robert Stone interfering. Odyssey would hit Von Wagner with the World's Strongest Slam, and as Odyssey was setting himself up in the corner, waiting for Von to get up, Robert Stone would take Malik Blade's sweater, the same sweater that Von Wagner tore a couple weeks ago, and Malik's just having this as retribution. Robert would take that sweater and run with it. Idris would chase after Robert. Robert would get in the ring, and he would drop to the mat when he sees Odyssey standing right there. So the ref would try to get Robert Stone out of the ring, and as the ref is doing this, Malik would use this opportunity to drop kick Von Wagner, and Odyssey Jones would hit Von with a running crossbody for the win. I see Von Wagner probably next week on NXT getting at Robert Stone for causing him this match right here, and if not costing him, inadvertently costing him the matchup right here. So I see Von probably dropping Robert Stone probably next week, or it's coming soon because of Robert Stone interfering in this. Now after this, we have Ikemenjero going against Javier Barnell, or better known as Big Body Javi. Ikiman would win the match by pinfall by hitting a running Insiguri for the win. Now, after the match, as Ikiman was on the turnbuckles celebrating his win, Scripps would attack Jiro out of nowhere. 
and he would beat him up. He would go to the top turnbuckle, hit his flipping senton on Jiro. So it seems that Scripps has a new person that he wants to beef with. It could be Jiro here. Important thing to note here, Scripps has new ring gear. So it seems to me that WWE or NXT Developmental, they took note of what everybody on Twitter was saying about Scripps needing new ring gear, and he even has a new mask. Everything at least looked right on him this time. I'm still not used to the whole orange thing on Scripps or Reggie, whatever you want to call man's over here. Um, I'm not used to the orange on it, but again, just like everything else, if I probably see it multiple times on television, I'll probably get used to it. So I'm glad Scripps is now on television more, and we at least got a feud with him. So this gives Scripps screen time, and it gives Ikebenjiro uh, screen time as well. Now, after this, we have the New Day Championship Celebration. New Day will come out here. They're peacocking about becoming new NXT Tag Team Champions, as well as becoming Triple Crown Champions. That means they have held championships on Raw, SmackDown, and now NXT. Xavier Woods will mention that Kofi is the first ever singles and tag team Triple Crown Champion. Woods would also mention that he was on the first ever NXT 10 years ago. He wrestled on the first ever match in NXT, and it was against Big E. And he would talk about how he never had a chance to become champion in NXT 10 years ago. But that changes now because he is now NXT Tag Team Champions. So then we will have Pretty Deadly come out here and ruin New Day's championship celebration. Pretty Deadly will tell New Day that the New Day ruined their Christmas and that Pretty Deadly are out here to ask for their rematch for the NXT Tag Team Championships. New Day would tell Pretty Deadly that they could have their rematch, only they have to do one small thing. And what New Day wants Pretty Deadly to do is to recite the Pledge of Allegiance. Pretty Deadly will look at New Day in disgust for them even suggesting to say the Pledge of Allegiance because, well, uh, Pretty Deadly are from the UK, so they have their allegiance over there to the UK. So this will lead to Briggs and Jensen coming out, and they say that if the only thing they got to say or do is basically... Like, say the Pledge of Allegiance to count them in. So you see New Day, Briggs and Jensen say the pledge, and Pretty Deadly looks disgusted as all this was happening. So after this, New Day will tell Briggs and Jensen that they will talk to the right people, and they will see them next week for that NXT Tag Team Championship match, and it would be confirmed. So next week on NXT, we will have Briggs and Jensen going against the New Day for the NXT Tag Team Championships. After this, we will have J.D. McDonough, going against Brutus Creed with Julius Creed in Brutus Corner. JD would win the match by pinfall by hitting two devil insides, which is a pull-in Saito suplex, one on the outside of the ring, and a final one on the inside of the ring. Indy Shear would have to stop JD from using a chair during the match because, again, Indy Shear wants the Creed brothers at their best whenever they do have their match here. So Indy Shear was around ringside during this. So again, Indy Shear looking after the Creed brothers. You saw the Creeds looking at Indy Shear after that. They weren't happy that Indy Shear stuck their nose in their match. Again, this is what we're building up to. Indy Shear and the Creeds getting to their match. When? I don't know, but it's going to be sometime soon. After this, we will have the debut of Lyra Vakiria going against Amari Miller. Lyra will win the match by pinfall by hitting a frog splash for the win. I gotta admit, not knowing who this Lyra Valkyria is, um, she's over from NXT UK division. Again, they come over here now because NXT UK is 
done with. They're trying to rebrand for NXT Europe. So they're in that phase. They're bringing over certain talent that they want to come over to America's NXT to get them something to do until probably NXT Europe has started or for them to stay over here. I don't know which one they're doing, but Lyra Varkaria, I want to say this. She will be a great added addition to NXT's women's division because she is something different. I believe that she'll bring a... She will bring a striking element that's missing in the NXT women's division right now. And I just want her to be there personally. I don't know what it is yet. Once I have my finger on it, I'll be able to tell you guys, but I don't know what it is, but I like what I saw with uh, Lyra Valkyria in her match with Amari Miller. I like what I see in her. So I hope she stays on NXT uh, in the American version instead of going back to NXT Europe whenever that whole thing gets built back up. Now, after this, we have Duke Hudson with Andre Chase and Thea Hale in his corner going against Damon Kemp. Duke would win the match by pinfall by hitting a big boot on Damon Kemp for the win. During the match, Drew Gulak would be out there to watch the match happening, and Andre Chase would see Drew, and he will walk up on him and tell Drew that Duke is Chase U and that Drew Gulak cannot be messing around with Duke Hudson. The reason why Andre is so protective over Duke right now is because backstage earlier, he saw Duke Hudson and Drew Gulak talk for a little bit and shake hands, and Andre Chase is paranoid that Duke might be going over to Drew Gulak to train with him. So that's the thing that we're building right here. So it's going to seem that Drew Gulak is probably building up his own stable, his own group, now that he's down in NXT. I'm cool with it. Hopefully he gets his own group. I hope he gets Damon Kemp in there because Damon Kemp has been doing nothing right now. Hopefully he gets uh, his brother Gabe Steveson as well because, again, Gabe Steveson, he's down there in at the Performance Center now, at least as we mentioned last week on SmackDown. So hopefully we get a new version of Catchpoint. For people that don't know, Catchpoint was the group that Drew Gulak had in Evolve, which is an independent promotion. And Drew Gulak group Catchpoint was nothing but uh, technical, sound, professional wrestlers. It was basically him, Tracy Williams, Matt Riddle, uh, Fred Yehi, and also had Chris Dickinson and Jaka at that time in Evolve. So again, seeing Catchpoint or a new version of Catchpoint in NXT with the Gabe Steveson and Damon Kemp and even Drew Gulak, I think that would be a nice addition to NXT. Now off to the main event. It's the NXT Women's Championship matchup. The NXT champion, Mandy Rose, putting up her championship against Roxanne Perez. Roxanne Perez would win the match by pinfall by hitting Pop Rocks on Mandy Rose to become the new NXT Women's Champion, putting an end to Mandy Rose's 413-day reign as NXT Women's Champion. I gotta admit to you, that surprised me. I thought, okay, we're just going to blow Roxanne's whole situation again, the same thing, uh, the same way that we did earlier with her uh, losing the NXT breakout tournament like prize whenever she went against Mandy, whenever Cora cost her. I thought, okay, we're going to have another situation like that here. But no, Roxanne won by hitting Pop Rocks. I was shocked, genuinely. You can even tell uh, the surprise in some of the audience members' faces because they didn't expect that to happen. And it was a nice surprise that, NXT pulled out here. Roxanne being the one to beat Mandy, it was a nice, it was a nice uh pick. Again, Roxanne or Nikita Lance were gonna be the only two people that I personally saw winning this 
uh, championship off of Mandy. And again, I thought it was going to be somewhere on a bigger stage, like a stand and deliver or even probably a vengeance day. But nope, they chose here to do it. So, I mean, it was a nice, good surprise, probably to end off NXT in a banger way before the new year, before this year ends and going into the new year. So it's going to be good. Now, there would be some kind of disruption that would happen because Wednesday it would come out, well, at least from some wrestling publication news uh, sites, that Mandy Rose was released by WWE. Now, the reason why Mandy was released was because apparently she has some content behind a paywall that apparently got leaked out and it was not good content. It looked bad. It looked poorly on Mandy and apparently that might do something with uh, WWE's partnership with Mattel because Mattel is a children's uh, action figure or just a figurine type of business and I think WWE did not like that so it was said that she was given some options to shut down her site and she didn't want to do it quote unquote again I'm not so sure I'm using allegedly here I have no idea if that's the truth or not but this is just stuff that's come out I know I said I would keep I know whenever I said the Alistair Black stuff, I would try to not ever report on stuff that was reported by the news site unless it has been officially stated by a wrestler or the company coming out. But I think this Mandy Rose situation was at least my exception to the rule because Mandy to me is like Roman Reigns for the main roster. Mandy Rose on NXT was the reason why a lot of people basically tuned in to NXT, at least the male demographic tuned into NXT. NXT was really like, taking hold and really like programming and profiting off of the sex appeal of Mandy Rose and toxic attraction and the people that were watching it, the fans at least that have heard about Mandy Rose getting released. They have made the pointed connections of WWE being able to profit off of Mandy Rose sex appeal, but Mandy not being able to profit off of it on her own time, personal time. See, that's a double standard people would say. And it is because again, if a company is able to like literally make money off your sex appeal, why can't you on your personal time? And again, that sets a real crazy like precedence for anybody, because if the company makes money off of it, why can't you? People might say, well, Joe, they were selling, she was selling her, she was selling photos or whatever she was selling on a paywall. And that reflects bad on WWE. If you did not see WWE's vignettes and everything on Mandy Rose, they were really like accentuating and I mean, really putting a heavy emphasis on Mandy Rose's body. I mean, they would get close up shots of her breast and her butt. And I mean, they were really just like talk about her curves and everything. I mean, they were really like putting it on the nose without saying sex with Mandy. It was literally heavily implied how the sexiness and everything else of Mandy and also toxic attraction, but more than less Mandy, because they like to really put the heavy focus on her because she was the front woman of toxic attraction. But that was the thing. And it just doesn't make sense to me. You guys could have given her like, Hey, yo, we need you to take that down seriously because that's not going to be good. We're probably gonna have to release you if you don't blah, blah, blah. And if that were the case, sure. WWE or somebody in the company should have, put out a press to say, hey, listen, we tried to work with her on this and that, but she didn't want to work with us on this, and that's the reason why we had to let her go. And if that were to come out, guess what? At least people would say, you know what? The company gave her an option. They gave her a chance to do it, and she didn't want to go with that option, so she had to be released. 
but just being left out in the dark on why she was released and why you guys didn't just like put her on suspension or whatever the case may be. See, that's the thing. Or giving her a warn-up or a write-up or whatever the crap is, that makes it bad and look bad on the company. You guys can't stay silent in matters like this. Especially, again, whenever you guys put a lot of time and money and focus on somebody like Mandy and Toxic Attraction. Now, that's almost like if Roman Reigns just out of blue would just be fired and everybody, I don't care who you are, everybody in the wrestling space, whether in New Japan, AEW, Impact, Everybody will look at WWE like, what is the reason why Roman Reigns got fired? It makes no sense. You guys put a lot of time and money emphasis on Roman. That's the exact same thing you guys did with Mandy. So again, it led to people trying to figure out why. And I guarantee you, they would have put a statement out why they were released Roman Reigns. Because they're not going to let that hang over their head. They should have put a statement out on why they released Mandy Rose or if that's the case. Because again, you guys need to squash these speculations if that's not the case, WWE. So for right now, it looks like that's the case because a lot of WWE talent would be tweeting out their support to Mandy Rose in this time right now. So it seems that Mandy is released, but I don't want to take that away from the effect that Roxanne Perez is the new NXT Women's Champion. It was bound to be her time sooner rather than later. And the, just the thing is that we just didn't know who was going to be the one to take the title off of Mandy. We all knew it was either going to be Roxanne or Nikita. I just thought it was going to be on a bigger stage, like a stand and deliver like the wrestlemania uh, weekend or even vengeance day but they decided to go with here and we can see why they were planning on releasing her literally the next day on uh wednesday so i just want to send out my support to mandy rose is not right it's not fair hopefully this is not real hopefully this is not the situation hopefully wwe puts a statement out something saying hey yo we messed up or something i hope that it's just that because it's foul how you guys just basically fired her for her using her own sex appeal of her own body for her own gain instead of the company's gain it doesn't make any logical sense at least to me but anyway that is your nxt wrestling highlights of the week now off to aew dynamite but before i get to dynamite i do got to point out the ring of honor final battle results because i did talk to you guys on um nxt's deadline review saying that i will give you the results for what happened on final battle so here they are, Blake Christian and A.R. Fox going against Roosh and Drillistico. Uh, Blake Christian and A.R. Fox will get the win when A.R. Fox would hit Drillistico with a 450 splash, and the referee would count to a three, even though Drillistico's elbow or arm basically popped up. But the referee still said that A.R. Fox and Blake Christian would win the match. Now, however, after the match, you would see Roosh and Drillistico take their aggression out on Blake Christian and A.R. Fox. And you would see Drillistico and Roosh hit AR Fox with two chair shots, one from each person to the head of AR Fox. And it would lead to uh, Roosh being suspended by AEW only for one week. So this was the week of Roosh being suspended. After this, we had the Ring of Honor Women's Championship matchup of Athena going against Mercedes Martinez. Athena would win the match by pinfall thanks to some shenanigans when Athena would pull the second turnbuckle off and dropkick Mercedes Martinez into the second turnbuckle, then go to the top rope and hit the O face on Mercedes and cover her for the win. So Athena is your new Ring of Honor Women's World Champion. After this, we have Swerve in Our Glory, uh, Swerve and Keith Lee going against Shane Taylor and J.D. Griffey. Uh, Keith Lee would win the match by pinfall when he would hit Griffey with Big Bang Catastrophe. 
During the match, you would see Keith Lee accidentally hit Swerve with an elbow shot, and Swerve uh, basically later in the match would leave Keith Lee to get beat down by Shane Taylor and Griffey. This was Swerve's uh, retaliation for Keith leaving him at full gear whenever they went against uh, the acclaim for the AEW Tag Team Championship, so this was a Swerve's uh, receipt for that. But in this case, Keith was actually able to do something Swerve wasn't able to do. Keith was actually able to beat his opponents, Swerve, not so much at full gear. After this, we had the six-man tag match for the ROH Six-Man Championships. It is the Embassies, Brian Cage, Toa, and Khan going against Dalton Castle and the boys. The Embassy would win against... Dalton and the boys, and they are your new Ring of Honor World Six-Man Tag Team Champions. Uh, That was cool. Brian Cage finally has his first piece of gold in AEW. Well, technically AEW company umbrella, because Ring of Honor is under AEW. So Brian Cage finally having a championship seems right. And I hope that he gets used right in Ring of Honor instead of being used just nonchalantly. I'm just hoping that way. Uh, After this, we have Willie Uta going against Daniel Garcia. For the Ring of Honor Pure Championship, Willie Uta would defeat Daniel Garcia by referee stoppage whenever Daniel Garcia would basically take a lot of elbow shots to the chest rapidly from Willie Uta as Uta has him tied up in a submission. And Garcia would just basically pass out. The referee would see this and he would call for the bell. So Willie Uta is your first ever Ring of Honor Pure Champion twice. Now, after this, we would have the double dog collar matchup. Of the Briscoes going against FTR. The Briscoes would defeat FTR by referee stoppage whenever Jay Briscoe would have the chain wrapped around uh, Dax's mouth and he starts pulling on it more and more and Dax would basically pass out in the submission. The referee would see it, call for the bell, and the Briscoes are now your 13-time Ring of Honor Tag Team Champions. I will say this, that was a bloody matchup. You saw a lot of blood coming off the face of Jay Briscoe. You saw blood coming from Dax. You saw blood coming from Mark. I don't think you really saw blood coming from Cash. I don't remember it, but I know Mark, Jay, and Dax were bleeding. I mean, they were fighting all around the arena. You saw them fighting in the ring, out of the ring, in the crowd, on the stage. I mean, there was one spot where you saw Mark going to the top rope, and you saw on the outside of the ring, there was a pile of chairs just all grouped into one spot. And you see uh, Cash, who is basically tied and chained up next with Mark. And he will pull on the chain to basically have Mark go off the top turnbuckle and land on the outside of the ring onto the pile of chairs. So that was a pretty uh, nasty fall that uh, Mark took. And I ain't going to hold you. That was a nasty, nasty looking uh, situation there. But in the end, the Briscoes are still your, well, they're your new Ring of Honor Tag Team Champions. And after the match, you will see uh, FTR get beat down by the Gun Club. And the Briscoes will come out to basically scare the guns away. The guns are still going after FTR. They still want to try to kill FTR's legacy. And that's what they're here to do. Um, it would be announced also on Dynamite that FTR will go against the guns next week on Dynamite. So there you have that matchup finally happening. After this, you have Samoa Joe defeating Juice Robinson to retain his Ring of Honor World Television Championship by hitting the Muscle Buster. Uh, Samoa Joe going to Juice Robinson. Solid matchup. No more needs to be said here. And then in the main event, Claudio Castagnoli going against Chris Jericho for the Ring of Honor World Championship. Claudio Castagnoli would defeat Chris Jericho by submission, technically. 
when Claudio Castagnoli would have Chris Jericho in the giant swing, and Jericho would tap out as Claudio was swinging him around. Now, that was a unique finish because I don't remember anybody ever tapping out to Claudio's giant swing, and I think Chris Jericho was the first person to ever do it. And a Twitter, on Twitter technically, uh, a Twitter user questioned Chris Jericho tapping out. Jericho had to uh, retort to the tweet, basically saying, yo, that move is dangerous. You've never been locked into that move. That move should be barred. It's barbaric. And he calls the Twitter user a stupid idiot. So that was Chris Jericho defending his reason for why he tapped out to the giant swing by Claudio Castagnoli. Either way, it was unique. It was different. And sometimes in wrestling, you need to have some things be unique and different to make people basically realize how some of these moves are basically different and how they still have some real life ramifications that if you were to be put in a giant swing, somebody just constantly swing you over and over somebody of the caliber of Claudio Castagnoli. You might tap out yourself because, again, that is a uh, man who has freakish strength, which you wouldn't think he has, but he does. And he's actually able to perform some uh, freaky, again, freakish uh, type strength. And Claudio is now your two-time Ring of Honor world champion. Now, at the press conference, Tony Khan would announce that Ring of Honor will be having their uh, Honor Club back up. Honor Club is their version of WWE Network before Ring of Honor. So it has passed uh, Ring of Honor events on that streaming service. It's $9.99 a month. And he does announce that Ring of Honor will be having uh, Ring of Honor like programming on that streaming service exclusively because he's going to try to draw back Ring of Honor uh, situations off of AEW television. So you might not see a lot of Ring of Honor champions being defended on AEW television. Those will be reserved for Ring of Honor events and like the streaming shows whenever they get that whole situation uh situated and he would announce also that there are going to be some exclusive wrestlers that's going to be exclusively for ring of honor and he means that by pointing out the briscoes as being a prime example the briscoes i don't think we will ever see on AEW television unless we have a like somebody in Warner or somebody that's the parent company of whoever is giving their contract over to AEW to say, hey, yo, you can have the Briscoes on AEW television. But until that type of stuff happens, uh, the Briscoes will be exclusively on Ring of Honor. You're not going to see them on AEW television. And he wants that to be known. So we can stop like crying for the Briscoes to be on AEW television is not going to happen. They're going to be on Ring of Honor, and he does announce that there will be some more exclusively Ring of Honor uh, wrestlers that's going to be like exclusively for Ring of Honor. But that is your AEW, or shall I say Ring of Honor, final battle uh, wrestling highlights of the week. Now, off to AEW Dynamite. It was announced on Dynamite that next week we will have Jamie Hayter going against Hikaru Shida for the AEW Women's Championship. So I want to announce that. I said that they were going to have that match this week, but they did not. So, my bad. Now, the first match that happened on AEW Dynamite this week for their Winter is Coming was the match four out of seven in the Trio Championship Series. It is the Elite going against the Jeff Triangle. Jeff Triangle would win the match by submission when... Nick would tap out in an inverted ankle submission from Phoenix. This happens when Nick Jackson was basically taken to the back, like mid-match, when Nick was having a problem with his right ankle after he hit a top rope uh, move onto Pack outside of the ring, and he kind of landed on his right ankle awkwardly. So you had Kenny Omega and Matt Jackson basically trying to fending off against the Death Triangle 
like two thirds of this match. And then towards the end of the match, you saw Kenny and Matt in a desperate situation. Nick comes down. The trainer tries to stop Nick from coming down to the ring. Nick puts the trainer off. He gets on the ring apron. Kenny tags him in. And you see Nick Jackson basically work uh, a ground game. Not really a ground game, but like a standing game. He didn't do any high flying. He just basically stuck to striking, striking. And when he did try to go for the super kick, uh, Phoenix would catch him. And Penta would come in and hit Nick Jackson's ankle with the hammer. And Phoenix looks at Penta like, yo, we didn't have to do that. You didn't have to do that. And Penta tells Phoenix to finish it off. So Phoenix would get Nick in an inverted uh, ankle submission and Nick would tap out. So Death Triangle are 3-1 against the Elite in their best of seven series. Kenny, after the match, would get a microphone and tell Death Triangle that since they like using the hammer in their past three matches, their next match, they will make everything legal. So next week in match five, it will be a no DQ match. Later in the evening, they would announce that if their series happens to go further, meaning that if the Elite happens to beat Death Triangle next week, and they will, in their match six on December 28th, it will be a false count anywhere match. And if the Elite happen to win that match in match seven on January the 11th, there will be a, a ladder match to claim who is going to be the trio's champions. Now, if you remember what I said last week or a couple of weeks ago, I did say that the Elite and Death Triangle, they should have a ladder match to be match seven. That would kind of clip and make everything like significant and better. And so when I saw that they're going to have a match seven be a ladder match, I was excited because again, apparently somebody happens to listen to me somewhere, or at least I'm on the right frame of mindset of what AEW booking or creative is thinking. So again, I felt vindicated when I saw the schedule lined up for that. So I felt good. Uh, after this, we had the acclaim come out and Max Caster would do his rap. But as he was rapping, Jeff Jarrett, Sanjay Dutt, Jay Lethal, and Saddam Singh would attack the acclaimed Billy Gunn. Jeff Jarrett would hit Max Caster in the head with a guitar. And so this would let everybody know that Jay Lethal and Jeff Jarrett are officially going at the acclaim and the AEW Tag Team Championships here. And I'm cool with it because you know what? It gives the acclaim to work with another tag team until they have a better tag team lined up for them to defend their championships against. So this is basically just their little uh, cool-down rivalry for them to do something here. So I'm good with that. Uh, after this, we have Brian Cage with Prince Nana in his corner going against Jungle Boy Jack Perry. Jack Perry would win the match by pinfall when Nana would get on the ring apron and distract the referee from seeing Brian Cage tap out in the snare trap. Jack would walk up on Nana, and Brian would grab Jack from behind, try to hit a discus clothesline. Jack would duck, and Brian would hit Nana. Jack would then get Brian in a roll-up pinfall for the win. Now, after the match, you would see Jungle Boy get the mic, and he would call out Bill Morrissey, and Bill Morrissey is W. Morrissey's new name in AEW. And instead of Morrissey coming out, Stokely Hathaway would come out, and Stokely would tell Jack that if he keeps talking, he's going to see the bottom of Morrissey's boot and the backhand of Stokely. You would see Jungle Boy leave the ring and start going up to Stokely, but Lee Moriarty and Morrissey would come out and attack Jack Perry. Morrissey would chokeslam Jack in the ring, and you will see Hook come out to the surprise of everyone. You will see Lee Moriarty, Morrissey, and Stokely leave the ring, and you will see Hook help up Jack or Jungle Boy to his feet. 
So it seems to me that we have an alliance here with Hook and Jungle Boy against Lee Moriarty and Bill Morrissey and Stokely Hathaway. I'm cool with this because, again, it gives Hook airtime because Hook hasn't been on television in some time now. It gives Morrissey some time because Morrissey needs to be on TV, at least in my personal opinion, because he did so well in Impact this week. Well, not this week, this year. And for him to be on AEW and he's hasn't been on television but so much, it kind of seems like, yes, he got a bigger like audience for to see him, but he's doing less than he was doing in Impact. So, eh, you traded good for the batter, at least in certain instances. And for Jungle Boy, it just gives him something to do until Christian is uh, healed up. And then we'll get back to Jungle Boy getting at Christian again. So everybody has something to do, and that's a good thing here. After this, we will have the House of Black with Julia Hart in their corner going against the Factory's QT Marshall, Aaron Solo, and Cole Carter with Nick Camarado and Lee Johnson in their corner. House of Black would win the match by pinfall when Murphy and Brody King would destroy everyone except for QT Marshall. QT Marshall will be left for Malachi Black. Malachi Black will hit QT Marshall with Black Mass for the win. And that was it. I thought we were going to get Eddie Kingston and Ortiz coming out to have a stare down with House of Black, but that does not happen on Dynamite. We might get that sooner rather than later, probably next week on Dynamite or something. But I thought that's what we were going to get because, again, Eddie Kingston and Ortiz, they're going to have beef with House of Black. You can see it coming after Eddie Kingston and Ortiz had their little uh, promo last week on Rampage. And he talked about, and they talked about it, and I just thought we were going to follow up on it, but they did not hear on Dynamite. So, again, we're going to see it probably somewhere down the line. After this, we have Chris Jericho going against a guy named Action Andretti. Um, Action would win the match by pinfall when he would hit a running shooting star press on Chris Jericho for the win, and this would surprise everyone. Somebody on Twitter would say that this reminds them of the 1-2-3 kid beating Razor Ramon years ago, and I thought to myself, I was like, okay, it makes sense. However, to me, this match reminded me of Kenny Omega going against Allen Angels in 2020, where it was the guy who was unknown going against a guy that is um, in the industry that everybody knows as the superb wrestler, and the superb wrestler has a hard time putting this unknown guy away, and this is what happened here. Jericho hit action with the Codebreaker didn't put him away, and that shocked everyone. He still beat up on him, and he just couldn't put this kid away. And action happens to hit a running shooting star press and puts Chris Jericho away, a legend, away with a shooting star press, a running one, nevertheless. And he would get the win. After the match, the crowd starts uh, being so excited for the kid. Everybody's so happy. And it would be announced later on Twitter that action Andretti here is now all elite. Tony Khan would tweet it out, so... Action Andretti is now part of All Elite Wrestling. And to me, again, this reminded me of how Alan Angels had his contract whenever he had got done his match with Kenny Omega. So it seems to me that working with high-level elite Canadians in professional wrestling can't get you a contract in AEW if you work with somebody of Chris Jericho or a Kenny Omega. So let that be the cheat code for anybody. Try to get a match with Chris Jericho or Kenny Omega and just have a good match with them, and you more than likely will get signed in AEW. Now, after this, you'll have Ty Mello going against Ruby Soho. This is Ruby's uh, return match ever since the pre-show of All Out. So basically, this is a return three months from three months on injury. Uh, Ruby would win the match by pinfall by hitting Destination Unknown, which is a twisted STO for the win. 
after the match, Anna Jay will come out to the ring and attack Ruby, hitting her with the gory bomb. So this whole thing between Ty Anna and Ruby is not ending yet. Ruby needs to have backup, and I think Willow Nightingale might be the perfect female to help Ruby take care of Mello and uh, Anna Jay, but we'll have to see. Now it's time for the main event. For the AEW World Championship and Dynamite Diamond Ring, you have MJF going against Ricky Starks. Unfortunately, it was not Ricky Starks' night. It will be MJF's night when MJF would win the match by pinfall using a referee as a shield. When MGF has the referee as a shield, Ricky would try to move the ref, and when he does so, the ref would miss MGF kicking Ricky in the nuts and then getting him in the small package for the win. MGF and Ricky, they had a good match here. Yeah, everybody was on the side of Ricky Starks, as MGF and everybody kind of thought they were going to be because they're in Texas. Ricky's adopted home now. Uh, everybody hates MJF. MGF knows this. They had a good match between both of them. At one point, you saw them both trade shots with each other, and Ricky hits MJF with a spear, but he couldn't get him in it because he was holding on to his arm because MJF was working over Ricky's arm throughout the match. And MJF would put Ricky Starks in the salt, the earth arm bar, and Ricky would try to get to the bottom rope. You see MJF had to modify it, so now he has both of Ricky's arms, and then Ricky tried to use his leg. MJF grabs Ricky's leg and bends it back, so Ricky has to use his other leg. So MGF was trying everything he can to make sure that Ricky would lose the match here. But in the end, it still worked. MGF is still your AEW World Champion, and he's still your holder of the Dynamite Diamond Ring for the fourth time here. After the match, MGF would leave the ring and walk up the ramp, but Brian Daniels' music would hit. MGF will look at Brian Danielson, and you see Brian just chase MGF down the ramp. MGF would hop the barricade and run up the crowd, run up the steps. Brian would just look at MGF as he's running away. Brian would get in the ring, go on the turnbuckles, and just stand there and look at MGF as MGF looks at Brian holding up the AEW World Championship. So this tells you that Brian and MGF is your next rivalry here. I'm cool with that. We can save MGF and Eddie Kingston down the line. I'm cool with it because, again, I want to see MGF and Eddie Kingston a lot. So saving that and giving them more time for the verbal back and forth between those two is going to be excellent work. But Brian going against MGF now, I like it because again, this is Brian's basically getting revenge on MGF for taking out his mentor, William Regal. So I love it here. So with that, that is your AEW Dynamite Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now we're off to Impact Wrestling. A couple things to highlight for next week's Impact. On next week's Impact Wrestling, there will be two tag team matches. One will be Tasha Steeles and Savannah Evans going against the team of the Knockouts champion Jordan Grace and Mickey James. And the second match will be the Knockouts Tag Team Championship matchup, which will be seeing the champions Rosemary and Jessica defending the championships against Deanna Perrazzo and Giselle Shaw. Now, Getting into this week's Impact Wrestling, the first match that will happen would be Eddie Edwards going against Delirious. Eddie Edwards would win the match by pinfall when Eddie was able to reverse Delirious's Cobra submission into a pin for the win. After the match, Eddie Edwards and Delirious would shake hands in the ring, only for Eddie to sucker in Delirious and hit him with a diehard driver. Eddie would then beat up on Delirious some more until Yuya Yumura would come down to the ring. Eddie would then beat up on Yuyu. And then you will see Eddie try to go back to Delirious and take his mask off of him. As he was about to take the mask off, you will see Jonathan Gresham come down to the ring. 
Eddie Edwards will leave the ring, and now we have been confirmed by Scott Demore, who tweeted it out on Twitter, that Jonathan Gresham is now officially signed to Impact Wrestling, so he is now a part of Impact. And also, at Hard to Kill, it will be Jonathan Gresham going against Eddie Edwards. I think having Jonathan Gresham on the Impact roster is a great benefit for Impact and a great benefit for Jonathan Gresham, because the last time anybody has seen him on television-wise was against Claudio Castagnoli at Ring of Honor's Death Before Dishonor, like, what was that? in the summer, like June, July-ish. So for Jonathan Gresham to be back at Impact Wrestling, it's good for him because he gets some reps on television. And if he wants to get signed to WWE later down the line, he's able to do so. But at the time being, for now, he's able to be with his wife, uh, Jordan Grace, and he's actually able to just have good professional wrestling matches on television. So again, great pickup for Impact Wrestling here with Jonathan Gresham. Now, after this, we will have Bully Ray going against John Schuyler. Bully would win the match in quick fashion by hitting John Schuyler with a pile driver for the win. After the match, Tommy Dreamer would come down to the ring to talk to Bully. Tommy would say that he was vouching for Bully for months in impact, and now that has changed because he was wrong, and Bully has stabbed everybody in the back, including him. Tommy would tell Bully that he's here to tell them that their friendship is done and over and that hard to kill, Josh is going to beat him. Bully would then retort and say that throughout their whole entire 28 years of friendship, he realized that Tommy Dreamer has always been a jealous coward. Bully would then start getting underneath the skin of Tommy by saying that in every promotion, whether it was ECW, WWE, or even Impact, Bully was always the bigger star. He would include Devon in this by saying, if Devon was in my shadow, you, Tommy, were always 10 steps behind Devon. And basically what he's saying is that you couldn't even walk in Devon's shadow who was even in my shadow. Bully would then tell Tommy that all those months ago, whenever Ace Austin was attacked backstage, Bully would finally confess up to saying that he was the one that attacked Ace Austin. And he said that he was able to do it because he knew that Tommy would be vouching for him and sticking up for him so he used tommy dreamer so as he's doing this you see tommy start getting upset to the point that he start having come tears coming down his face bully will see this and he would call tommy a female dog tommy would get hyped up and tell bully that they used to call him the innovator of violence and if bully wants to get things cracking and shaking right now they can do it right now so you see bully just start looking at tommy because you know that tommy's ready to do this Bully would leave out of the ring and have a smile on his face and look at Tommy and tell him, I did this to you. The person that you are right now, I did this to you. So Bully Ray is literally scum on Impact Wrestling and everybody hates him and he's just making it full-fledged, knowledgeable to know that, yeah, you should never ever trust Bully Ray ever. Now, after this, we had the major players going against Decay, which is Black Taurus and Crazy Steve. But before the match even begins... Crazy Steve will get attacked from behind by Trey Miguel when Trey Miguel hit Crazy Steve in the head with a can of spray paint. Trey would then tag the back of Crazy Steve, then leave. Now, Crazy Steve would still participate in the match. However, the major players would win the match by pinfall when they would hit the G9, which is Crime Time's old tag team finisher, rest in peace to Shag Ass Spar, still, on Crazy Steve for the win. So it seems that major players are next in line for the Impact Tag Team Championships. Now, after this, we have Angels going against Sammy Callahan. Angels will have the design in this corner, which is Khan and Diener. Sammy Callahan will get the win by pinfall by hitting a package pile driver on Angels for the win. 
After the match, Khan would come in the ring and attack Sammy from behind as Diener would get in the ring. Diener would walk up on Khan as he's beating up on Sammy and tell Khan that's enough. Sammy would then start trying to grab Diener by his legs to try to get to his feet. Diener would tell Khan to lift Sammy up and hold him. Diener would then go over to Angels and tell Angels to strike Sammy. Angels would then walk over to Sammy, hit him with a spinning heel kick, knocking Sammy out. Diener would then sit on the back of Sammy Callahan and just look menacingly into the camera. So the design is still going after Sammy Callahan. But as this is being totaled up right now, Sammy Callahan has one win. And the design have one win with Khan beating Sammy last week. So we're more than likely going to get Sammy going against Diener somewhere to even this thing out. After this, we have Zicky Dice and Johnny Swinger going against Bupinder Gujir and the Impact Digital Media Champion, Joe Hendry. Bupinder will get the win by pinfall by hitting the Gargoyle Spear on Johnny Swinger. During the match, Moose would try to attack Joe Hendry, but Joe Hendry would trip Moose. Moose would get a chair and chase Joe Hendry to the back, so Joe Hendry and Moose are still continuing whatever feud they're having right now and is going to probably end with Joe Hendry going against Moose for the Digital Media Championship because Moose is more than likely going to try to take gold away from Joe Hendry. Now, off to the main event. It'll be a tag team matchup for the Impact Tag Team Championships. It'll be the champions Heath and Rhino going against the Motor City Machine Guns with the major players being banned from ringside because this is their rematch from last week where the major players basically cost both teams a match last week. So this time, the Motor City Machine Guns would get the win by pinfall becoming your new Impact Tag Team Champions when Rhino was looking to hit Chris Saban with the spear or gore, but Chris Saban would jump over Rhino and get him in a roll-up pin for the win. So Motor City Machine Guns are carrying two tag team championships. They are carrying the Impact Tag Team Championships and they're carrying New Japan's uh, Strong's Tag Team Championships. So now they are two-time champions. Well, current champions, so they're champ champs. So Motor City Machine Guns are two companies champions and there's nothing wrong with that because you know what? Motor City Machine Guns, they've been tag teaming for 16 years on and off. And again, for the early 2010s, they were the tag team that everybody just looked to when Impact was that company that you wanted to see on Spike TV. They were the tag team that you wanted to see. Their feud against Beer Money was a good tag team rivalry feud. And their feud with uh, Team 3D, that was a good stuff. If Motor City Machine Guns could go to any company. I will have them go to WWE or AEW personally right now. I don't know which which, but AEW, they have a lot of tag teams, but WWE, it seems like they're trying to get a resurgence back in tag team wrestling, especially under the Triple H regime. So I'm not mad if Motor City Machine Guns ever do leave Impact because, again, I think Chris Saban and Alex Shelley, they should be on a bigger stage than just what Impact has right now. But... Beggars cannot be choosers. They're doing their work on Impact Wrestling, and I'm happy that they still are uh, showing that tag team dominance, and they're still proving it all these years later. So, again, congratulations to Motor City Machine Guns to becoming your Impact Tag Team Champions. Now, anyway, that was your Impact Wrestling, Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now we're off to SmackDown. SmackDown will open up with the WWE Women's Tag Team Championship matchup of Liv Morgan and Tegan Knox going against the Champions. Damage controls EO Sky and Dakota Kai with Bailey in their corner. EO will get the win for her team by pinfall thanks to an unknown figure interfering in their match. When Tegan Knox was outside of the ring and EO Sky was looking to hit Tegan with a springboard moonsault, Tegan will grab the middle rope and make EO fall and get her into the ring. And as the referee is looking at EO, 
Tegan would try to get back in the ring, but Bailey would grab Tegan and try to throw her into the barricade. Tegan would reverse it, then throw Bailey over the barricade into the audience. At that moment, a unknown figure in a hood would quickly appear and kick Tegan in the head. Security would quickly rush over, grab the figure, and then walk with them away. Io would grab Tegan, throw her in the ring, and then hit the moonsault for the win. Now, it was reported later in the night that Zia Lee was the unknown figure that attacked Tegan Knox, so we'll have to figure out why next week on SmackDown why Zia Lee happened to get involved in this matchup. Now, after this, we will have LA Knight coming down to the ring. And LA Knight talked about being abducted by Bray Wyatt last week. Knight would then fast forward to talking about giving Bray his props, being a former WWE champion, being an icon already in this business, and talking about how his recent return back to WWE has been something memorable by not just the fans, but everybody in the back. Knight would then say that he is tired of Bray Wyatt saying that he isn't the guy that attacked him. So Knight tells Bray that he needs to put on any mask that he wants and come out here and get stomped out by L.A. Knight. So Bray Wyatt would come out. Bray Wyatt would do Brody Lee's yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was basically Bray Wyatt's uh, tribute to Brody Lee because Friday was Brody Lee's birthday and he would have been 43 if he was still living. So again, rest in peace to Brody Lee. Uh, Bray Wyatt would tell LA Knight that he is still getting it wrong and that he isn't the one that attacked him. Bray would tell Knight that they both know how this story is going to end and he gives LA Knight one last chance to say what he has to say before he gets messy. Knight would start attacking Bray Wyatt and start stomping him out in the corner and as he's doing this, a video will play on the screen and it's Uncle Howdy and Howdy's asking LA Knight what has he done and does he want to see something that's really scary. So once the video stops playing, L.A. Knight will look at the entrance as Uncle Howdy will come out. So Bray Wyatt was telling the truth. Uncle Howdy and Bray Wyatt are two separate people. They're not the same person. So that's what we have here. As L.A. Knight just looks at Uncle Howdy and he looks at Bray and he's creeped out by this, he will leave out of the ring and just walk away. Now, WWE Productions team, let me just give you guys something, a heads up right now. You guys stayed entirely too long on that shot of Bray Wyatt being in the corner as you can see the uh, Uncle Howdy figure standing in the back of the entrance. You guys stayed too long on that. You guys had enough time to easily go to commercial and snap it away. I just want to let you guys know that as a guy that has looked at production and a guy that has at least know a little bit about production here and there after doing something himself, you guys should have quickly snapped away from that. So I hope you guys next time get your times right on this type of stuff, because again, that shot and you guys linger on it too much. It was really, really awkward. Again, just want to throw that out from a fan perspective, telling you guys that you guys probably want to tighten that up next time. Now, after this, you will get the Intercontinental Championship matchup of Ricochet going against Gunther. Both Giovanni Vinci and Ludovic Kaiser were banned from ringside per Adam Pierce before the match began. Gunther would win the match by pinfall by hitting the last symphony on Ricochet, which is basically the Emerald Fusion, and Gunther would retain his Intercontinental Championship. This was one hell of a match between Ricochet and Gunther. Just like Kofi Kingston with Gunther, Ricochet would kick out of every finisher from Gunther, whether it was the clothesline to the powerbomb. Gunther had to pull out the last symphony to end Ricochet here. Ricochet and Gunther had a good match here on SmackDown. As a matter of fact, it was the match of the night for SmackDown. 
You saw Ricochet do his high-flying stuff. You saw Gunther do his chops. You saw Ricochet even start, towards the end of the match, start striking back with Gunther, give slap-boxing him a little bit, kicking him in the guts, kicking him in the face. I mean, it really got literally heavy-handed between Ricochet and Gunther. I would strongly advise you to watch Gunther and Ricochet. What, it's probably what, about a good 15-minute matchup here? If not 15, 20? It's a good match. I highly suggest you watching it. And as a matter of fact, it's probably one of my late recent uh, ads to WWE's match of the years with everything else. But this one made a last quick addition. And again, great match between Ricochet and Gunther here. Just want to quickly give both men's props for that. Now, after the match, you will see Giovanni Vinci and Ludwig Kaiser come down to the ring and congratulate Gunther on retaining his Intercontinental Championship. Gunther would then tell them to lift up Ricochet and hold him. So they do this, and Gunther is about to hit Ricochet with the Intercontinental Championship. Braun Strowman would come down to the ring, and once he gets to the ring, Imperium would leave the ring. Now, it was announced later in the night that next week on SmackDown, we will get a miracle on 34th Street street fight between Imperium's Ludwig Kaiser and Giovanni Vinci going against Ricochet and Braun Strowman. After this, we get a number one contenders triple threat tag team matchup where the winners will be facing the Usos next week for the undisputed tag team championships. The teams in this match were Hit Row, Legado del Fantasma, and Viking Raiders. Hit Row would win the match by pinfall when they would hit the heavy hitter on Joaquin Wild for the win, so Hit Row will be facing the Usos next week. Now off to the main segment of the night. The Bloodline will come down to the ring. Roman Reigns is out here. Sammy's out here. The Usos, Solo Sokoa, Paul Heyman. Everybody's here because we all think it's supposed to be the night where Roman Reigns is supposed to make Sami Zayn a part of the Usos, a part of the Bloodline. And Roman would even say that, yo, this was supposed to be a good night for you, Sammy, but it isn't. And we all think that, okay, Roman's about to turn on Sammy, but no, Roman would say that, we have a Kevin Owens problem because Kevin Owens just won't leave you alone. And if he won't leave you alone, then he won't leave Roman Reigns alone. And if he won't leave Roman Reigns alone, then it becomes a problem for the bloodline. And that is something that we can't have. Roman would tell Sammy, hey, listen, it's okay because I got the solution for this. On December 30th, it will be me and you going against Kevin Owens and a partner of his choosing. So Sammy will talk and mention how, yes, Kevin Owens has been a problem and it's not going to be a problem no more. We're going to handle him and all this stuff. And then as soon as Sammy will continue to talk, a video of John Cena will play up on the screen. And John Cena will say that he got a message from Kevin Owens. And in the message, uh, it says that John Cena has been wrestling, at least had one match in WWE for the past 20 years. And this year, he hasn't had one. So John Cena wants to correct that. So December 30th, John Cena will be the partner of Kevin Owens to go against Roman Reigns and Sami Zayn. So that's how SmackDown will end. I'm cool with that. I think we all knew that was coming once uh, it was announced earlier that uh, that match was going to happen, but we just didn't know who Kevin Owens' partner was going to be. We all kind of figured out. I think I knew that. I think everybody else knew that. I know I tweeted that out. So for Kevin Owens to have John Cena, that's going to be fine. This SmackDown episode was fine, but just the main thing for you to really pick out is Gunther going against Ricochet. So there you go. Now off to AEW Rampage. Rampage will open up with a match between John Moxley going against Sammy Guevara with Ty Mello in his corner. 
John Moxley would win the match by submission when he locked in the Bulldog choke on Sammy, and Sammy would tap out. Now, after the match, John Moxley would get a mic and call out Hangman Adam Page. Hangman would come out, and Evil Uno would try to stop him from going down to the ring because Hangman is still not medically cleared to even compete, but Hangman would push Uno to the side. Hangman would meet Moxley at the ramp, and they would start brawling with each other. Hangman would throw Moxley in the ring, and security would come down to the ring to separate both men. Hangman would push security off of him, and he would look to hit Moxley with the buckshot lariat, but Moxley would slide out of the ring, and Hangman would hit a security guard. Hangman then would go out of the ring and start following Moxley into the crowd, start beating up on him, and those two would still continue to brawl. Then you see security once again come out to separate the two. So this still continues on of Heyman and John Moxley still having their beef. They're still not done yet. And we're just waiting for the clearance of whenever Hangman Page is going to get cleared. So we can finally get the match between Hangman Page and John Moxley. Now, after this, we would get Britt Baker with Rebel and Jamie Hayter in their corner going against Sky Blue. Britt Baker would win the match by pinfall by hitting the curb stomp on Sky Blue for the win. Now, after the match, Britt Baker would lock in Lockjaw on Sky Blue until Hukaru Shida would come down. And Hukaru Shida would hit Rebel and Britt Baker with her kendo stick. And then you see Shida and Jamie Hayter have a stare down as Jamie Hayter will lift up the AEW Women's Championship. Because Jamie Hayter and Hukaru Shida will be going against each other for said championship on next week's episode of AEW Dynamite. After this, we will have Warlow going against Exodus Prime a.k.a. a jobber. Wardlow would win the match by a pinfall by hitting four power bombs, or better known as a powerbomb symphony, for the win. After the match, Wardlow would get a mic, and he would call out Samoa Joe because he's tired of waiting. Joe would appear on the screen, and Joe would tell Wardlow that he isn't going to defend his championship next week, but he will get Wardlow his match on December 28th for the TNT Championship. So on December 28th, it would be announced Samoa Joe versus Wardlow for the TNT Championship. Now for the main event of Rampage, 8-man tag match. Best friends, which is Trent Beretta and Chuck Taylor, Orange Cassidy, and Dustin Rhodes going against the Butcher, Blade, Trent Seven, and Kip Sabian. Dustin Rhodes would win the match for his team by pinfall, when Orange Cassidy would hit Trent Seven with the Orange Punch, and then Dustin would finish him off with a Bulldog for the win. Rampage was real quick watch. Nothing bad about it. It was just real quick, and it just... Went by real smooth and real easy, so I have nothing really bad to say about Rampage here. But with that, that is your Rampage Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now, before I get you guys out of here, I just got to mention something real quickly. I know this is a long episode, but it's just something real quick. Um, It was reported somewhere down this week that there is some speculations that Vince McMahon wants to make his return back to WWE. Now, a lot of people were saying that should not happen. I'm thinking it shouldn't happen. I think Vince should leave the company and his daughter and Triple H's hands right now. They're doing a good job. Everybody's liking the direction that Triple H is doing. You have certain people that might not like Triple H's booking so far because, again, it's towards the end of the year. We always get to the drought of boring, stagnant television with WWE. It doesn't start kicking up until January, Royal Rumble season and then after that, then everything's back on the ball again. But right now, it's starting to hit a little slump where everybody's starting to get cranky, a little bit complaining. But if WWE fans or fans of professional wrestling that watch WWE knows, that's usually what happens in every time of December. It always gets slow season. So just bear with it. 
children, just wait until January rolls around and then you start seeing everybody starting to get ramped up and revved up for the Royal Rumble season and then everything will be okay. Trust me, you do not want Vince McMahon back in the seat and trying to be the man for a creative. We already had a problem with him for the last couple of years. Everybody constantly moaning and groaning and complaining about what's going on. We saw him butcher and kill Keith Lee's career in WWE. We saw him butcher and kill Karrion Cross's career on WWE. We saw him butcher and kill multiple careers from NXT talent coming up to the WWE main roster that we all thought, how could you kill? He killed Bailey's career for God's sake until what, 20, late 2019, where she had to change up her own style. And then when the COVID stuff happened, her and Sasha Banks were actually able to carry the SmackDown Women's Division on their backs. Ladies and gentlemen, let's not get it twisted. Vince McMahon has killed certain NXT careers on the main roster, not knowing what to do with them. And the only people that were actually able to do something with was Seth Rollins and really Roman Reigns because they were. Triple H's babies. John Moxley, Dean Ambrose, however you want to announce him, he had a good run, but he did not get the same star power status the way that Roman and Seth would always have some rivalries that people would be able to grip their uh, teeth into. And the reason why I'm able to say this is because the WrestleMania 32 match, him and Brock Lesnar, I don't care what nobody says. Everybody expected that to be a complete bloodbath between Brock and John Moxley, but if you go back and look at that match, that match was a travesty. It wasn't what it was supposed to. I mean, it wasn't good like that. And you can look at Roman's matches with Brock. You can look at Seth matches with Brock. Brock worked with Roman and Seth for certain reason. Brock did not want to work with John or whatever the case may be in that situation. It just did not work. So again, the only people that actually came up from NXT that actually was able to do what they had to do under the tutelage of Vince was technically Roman and Seth because of Triple H and everything else, but Vince was still cool with it, so there you go. Now, for anybody else, nope. I think with Triple H being in the head seat, and we already saw what he did from SummerSlam on to now, he's on a right path, WWE's on the right path, they got people clamoring and wanting to see what they're going to do later on, especially, I want to see a WrestleMania produced by Triple H in the mindset of what his storyline creatives is going to be and everything else. I want to see a whole full calendar year under Triple H's watch of what WWE does, what the storyline is going to be. Give me that before we start saying, oh yeah, we want Vince back. Uh Uh-uh. I don't want that happening yet. I don't think no WWE fan or wrestling fan in particular, if you watch WWE, even if you're a casual fan, wants Vince back. We want to see what Triple H can do for this time being until we all get tired and be like, okay, yeah, we thought your creative was better, but nope. All right, it's time for the old man to come back. But nah, give us Triple H. Let us get that one calendar full year in and let's see how that works. But until then, Vince, stay out of the light. Stay in the back. Just watch from the sideline. Watch as a fan. You still have a position in the company, but I don't think no fan wants to see you in the creative spot, I don't think no fan wants to know that you are making any type of storylines back there because we can tell your handprint of certain people compared to Triple H's handprint. I'm just making that perfectly clear. So again, we do not want Vince McMahon back in the spot of creativity the way that he was all those former years. We want Triple H there. At least give us a one full calendar year with Triple H to see how he can do it by himself. Now, with that being said, this has been Wrestling Highlights of the Week. I hope you guys have a good day. I hope you guys have a great rest of your week. 
please do not be a dick please be courteous to everybody out here on the road and just enjoy yourself this is about the holiday week you're going to have relatives coming down to you or you're driving up to your relatives either way this week so please again be courteous and you guys will be hearing from me again tomorrow i have a sunday episode as every week i always have that but if you do not listen to sunday's episodes you guys will be here from me again next saturday on the wrestling highlights of the week but with that being said i love you all i thank you have a great saturday and with that kanye could you please take these people home i'm tired you tired uh-huh. jesus wept uh-huh.